So this morning, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at a passage in Acts 20. Now it's one that I, you're like, oh yeah, didn't you just go through Acts? Yes, I did, in about two years <laughs> um, that we did. But this is a sermon that I preached through uh, in March of 2022. It's a little bit different because we were going consecutively at the time. Now we're looking specifically at that of the character of a biblical elder. Okay, so we're going to be looking at Acts 20, verses 17 through 21, and then we're going to skip down to verses 26 to 35, okay? Um, we're going to be looking at four things this morning. The, we're going to be looking at pastors committed to the gospel, verses 17 to 21, then the concerns of a pastor, in verses 28 to 31, Encouragement for the pastor, verse 32, and then the work ethic of the pastor in verses 33 to 35. And so let us read together and then we'll go ahead and pray um, after we read God's word together. So if you're there, Acts chapter 20, verse, starting in verse 17. Paul, at this point, is in Miletus and he is calling for the Ephesian elders to come. And he has this. At that time, I had titled this the Original Shepherds Conference, named after a, a very famous conference that John MacArthur has, the Shepherds Conference. Well, that was the original. This is Paul calling, hey, come, uh, let's meet, right? I need to talk to you. I need to say something to you. So this is the setting of this particular passage that we're seeing. Okay, so verses 17 in Acts chapter 20. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God, and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now verse 26. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, and will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is a reading of God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as, as we approach your throne of grace once again, 
we approach you as your children, those that have put their faith and trust in the work of Jesus. That is why we call you Father, because you have adopted us into your family. Now when we were singing hymns, now when we were attending church and just reading our Bible and going through the motions, but you adopted us, you saved us. Jesus died for us when we were his enemies. And for that, Lord, we, in all humility, praise you and thank you because we know we don't deserve any of it solely by your grace and your mercy. And, and with that in mind, Lord, now we open your word and ask you to please, through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, work in my heart, work with my lips and my tongue to proclaim your, your word truthfully, faithfully, and most importantly, to exalt Jesus, who is our shepherd. And I pray for anyone here this morning, Father, in your, for your children, that they would be encouraged, that they would be, be reminded of the gospel. And for anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would know Christ as Lord and as Savior today. That the Holy Spirit will work in their hearts in such a way that they will no longer be able to ignore Christ and come to him and call him the Lord of their lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We see, as I mentioned here, first point, we're going to get right into it, is we see these elders that are committed to the gospel in verses 17 to 21. Paul takes this opportunity because it's an opportunity right he's calling for them he's saying he's using this not just to give them a motivational talk and just tell them hey guys you know uh keep doing you know this is all what's going to happen everything's going to be roses no 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 he's calling them to remind these elders of ephesus and the word there these presbyteros is the greek word there the presbyteros those that are there in ephesus overseeing those in Ephesus, in their congregations, the flock that the Lord, as we will see here in a moment, that the Lord has entrusted, the Holy Spirit has given them to be overseers of. And so he's saying to them, hey, before you go any further, I'm going to use me. Notice how I have been laboring up until this point. I am serving the Lord the act of serving, this act of continuous service. It's not just a simple, A, you know, like I, I, I do a couple of things here or there, you know, whenever I, I feel like it. Or It's this continual commitment to the gospel. And I know that when we talk about the gospel, we immediately think when you hear the gospel, it comes to mind, oh, that I'm a sinner and Jesus died for me. And he rose uh, on the third day, and that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that is the gospel. And you'd be 100%. But what does it mean to be committed to the gospel? Because committed to the gospel is not just simply something that I remind myself, though I need to remind myself of it every day. But how does it flesh out? How does committed to the gospel flesh out in your life and in mine? And one of the ways is through serving the Lord. 
For us as believers, for those of us that have tasted the goodness of the Lord, for you who have actually seen how gracious, how merciful, how wonderful the Lord, how much forgiveness He has shown you. When you see that and you call upon that, what's your response to that? Is it just let me fold my hands and pray a little more? Or is your heart, Lord, all of me is for all of you. My tongue, my lips, everything is meant to serve you with intention. With intention. And even at the times when I don't want to, even the times when I have the towel and I'm about to just fling it into the ring because I'm done. That's when you say, wait. Let me put it right back. Because the Lord didn't throw in the towel when he was going to the cross. And so that, when all of a sudden you start seeing, then you say, wait, Lord, I'll keep going. I know I'm growing weary. You know I'm growing weary. But help me to keep going forward. Help me to keep moving in that direction. Because that was the heart of even Paul when he writes to the church in Rome. Romans twelve eleven. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Again, it's that heart. Do not be slothful. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. But serving in and of itself is not something that we do. And I get it. It's easy for us to get into autopilot. It's easy for us to go ahead and say, just go through the motions because we are are a culture of checklists. You guys love a checklist. It's easy to go ahead and tick boxes off. I love it. I enjoy it. It helps me to stay organized. If you're in logistics, the best thing to do is, okay, did I get this done? Did I get this done? Did I get this done? And we grab that and we bring that into our faith sometimes. And we think, okay, well, did I read my, my two chapters? Did I read my five chapters? Did I do my number? Did I pray for 10 minutes? And we forget that it's beyond that because the object is not serving in and of itself. Serving is beyond that. Serving has an object, and that object is no other than Christ, the Lord. That is what Paul told the Romans. Serve who? The Lord, the anointed one, the one that redeemed you. Him is who you're serving. I'm up here preaching, but ultimately my heart is to serve Him. They might be up there working with the AV. Their heart is to serve Him. The musicians up here, they're not here for your applause. If, you, if, if there's any applause to be given, let it be for him. Our brother Dayron, those in the nursery. I mean, it, goes, it extends beyond just the outward, external acts. Because if in your heart, your object is not Christ, then, you've, then we've missed it then it's just a slow fade. You're just one step away moving in the other direction. The cross is over there and you're moving in the opposite direction. Colossians 3.24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That is who you are serving. That is who I am preaching for. That is who I am proclaiming the gospel for. Yeah, indirectly you guys benefit. I benefit from it. But it's ultimately for Him. It is Christ who is our Lord and our Savior. Now, how did Paul serve the Lord? 
It's counterintuitive to us. We say humility as believers, but it's hard to escape the reality that we live in a culture of entitlement. You know the culture very well. I deserve X. People may not put it that way. They may not phrase it that way. But the way they comport themselves is, I deserve X. Our sister Veronica is in HR, and I'm sure she deals with it quite often. When you feel like, oh, the company owes me X, Y, and Z. The company doesn't owe us anything. Because if we're quite honest, what do we really deserve? If we have a job, it's because of God's grace. See what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's not us. And so that humility flies in the face of that heart, of that posture. I deserve X. I know you kids are like, well, I'm not working yet. But you have the same heart. You guys feel that, oh, my teacher needs to count my late assignment. How come you don't count my late assignment? How come you don't give me that curve? Why don't you give me the extra points? I deserve it. I did it. But I stayed up until late last night working on it. Yeah, but it's late. (laughs) They're not obligated to give you the extra points. They're not even obligated to go ahead and even accept it. Because what you really deserve is a zero. But the fact that your teacher may show you grace and mercy, all of it becomes something that that I'm entitled to. And it happens all the time. And, and, we, and we take that to the Lord. Lord, I deserve X. How come you haven't given me a good marriage? How come my children aren't doing? I deserve to have... No, you don't deserve anything. And to not belabor the point, but again, this is what happens. Humility is the complete opposite of that. Humility is a mental... It is not a mental exercise. It is a posture of the heart. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians and to the Colossians, he says the following. He says in Ephesians 4.2, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, because he had been in prison, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is, he's writing this to Ephesus, to the Ephesians, to the, and now he's talking to the very elders that are flocking, the, that, that are shepherding over this flock. And he's telling them, with all humility and gentleness. This isn't something just for pastors. I know he's like, yeah, but aren't you talking about biblical elders? This is a characteristic that all of us should have. Yeah, who wants to see a pompous pastor? Who wants to see the pastor that thinks, you know, I remember um, it, it's, it's, it's equivalent to, you know, it's like a doctor, you know. Uh, uh, you don't want to go to a doctor that thinks he's got it all together, right? And, 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 and wants to tell you, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm the hot shot here. You want to see the doctor that's compassionate is willing to listen to you, correct? I remember when, uh, when our son was, uh, was sick and going to, <laughs> my wife will remember the story, but we were there in the room and we have this, you know, people, these doctors that come into the, into the room. 
And there's this doctor that comes with his entourage, and he's, and all of a sudden we're telling him exactly what our son is feeling. He's been in here, he's been in and out, he's having all these symptoms. I don't know, we don't know what's going on. But we can tell you this, that he's 10 years old and he shouldn't be feeling this way. It's not normal, it's abnormal. And after we're pushing in this doctor, he says, hey, I went to the university. I went to medical school. That was his response. I mean, it took everything within me and my wife to not say anything at that moment and not lose our testimony. Because who wants to hear a doctor say, I went to medical school? Well, obviously you went to medical school. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. But you're not hearing us. You're not hearing us. You're, 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 you're more interested in your knowledge and what you know than taking the time to listen to us as parents, as concerned parents. And that is the heart that we need to have as Christians, not just as pastors. We demand it of the pastor, but you demand it of yourself. That's where it gets real. We need to have this heart of humility as believers so that when you go to work, when, you're, when you encounter that obnoxious coworker or that obnoxious classmate, how do you respond to them? Or are you the, the Christian that's always in righteous anger for the Lord? Is there a place for righteous anger? Yeah. Or is that the, but is that, is that your MO? Is that how you operate on a daily basis, this righteous anger? I'm ready to strike down everybody. Because the Lord will not put up with that. Humility precedes us because we weren't there either. You weren't there. You sure... For sure you weren't born that way. And if you are where you are today, it's by God's grace. I am here, up here only by God's grace. That's what I was reminding the kids of in youth. I should have been dead a long time ago. But the Lord preserved me. So yeah, Troy, I don't have... When you say, I want to go to the Lord, go home, take me home. Lord has different plans for us. And we're here and we'll serve Him with joy and humility. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's there in the text. It's his word, not mine. So we have to understand the magnitude of humility. And it's not just about, okay, well, I want to be humble, right? Of course, we look to Jesus, right? Philippians 2, a very famous passage. We reference it frequently from up here because honestly, there is no other, I mean, it's all over scripture. But Philippians 2, Paul captures the humility of God, of the God-man. That he did not cling to his divine rights. He did not appeal to his divine rights. Oh, but I'm God, therefore I deserve. No, no, no. Though he could have been, and he would have been absolutely right, right? Remember, they're in the wilderness when he's getting tempted. Even the devil knew that. He'll call the angels and he'll save you. He had the kind of power to call upon a legion, an army of angels that could spare his life. The devil knew that. And even Jesus at that moment didn't appeal to him. I mean, this is the Savior that we have, beloved. And if you're not in Christ, this is the Savior that you can have. He didn't count 
equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself. That is our goal. That is our, 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 our standard. So what's the trick? Let me Allow me to give you a little trick. The trick is, Lord, help me to be more humble. You can pray that, of course. I've prayed it many times. Lord, help me to be more humble. Why, so you can be more proud of being humble? Maybe. The Lord knows our hearts. The trick is remind me of Jesus. Remind me of what Jesus did for me. Remind me of the level and the magnitude of his humility. That when I see the cross, or when I hear the cross, I don't only see love, I don't only see forgiveness, but I also see humility. That he humbled himself to the point of death. That's why he was obedient. He humbled himself to that point. Even death on a cross. That is why his name will be exalted above every name. It is under his name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. Because that posture was there already. In Zephaniah 2, 3, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do, his command, who, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Seek it, but remember who was humble first. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Proverbs 22, 4, The reward for humility... And fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. So what's another characteristic of a biblical elder? Verses 20 and 21. Paul was unashamed of the gospel. That's what he said, right? He said, I'm unashamed of it. And I, and I love how, if you ever see Paul, sometimes it's easy to, picture Paul as this just stalwart, this soldier that he's just tracking on and going about the gospel. He gets persecuted. He gets up. He keeps going. And, and, and sometimes I think, man, and I forget that he is just a man. And moments like these in Scripture remind me that he, when he says, I did it with tears. I love it. Because it communicates that Paul wasn't just this, I'm all about the gospel and I don't care about anybody else. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what God wants you to do and you just better do it and keep going. No. Paul says he did it with tears. What, are te- what do tears represent? Tears are an emotional response. Psychologically, physiologically, biologically, it's an emotional response to pain, to whatever might be happening. How many of you have not cried it's not because you hurt yourself or you stubbed your toe or... No. It happens sometimes. Why are you crying? I don't know. I know you ladies understand this. Us husbands understand it. Why are you crying, honey? I don't know. Let me pray for you. But why do we cry? Because there's something going on. And I love that Paul says that. I did it with tears. He was unashamed of the gospel, but that there's this emotional part of it, again, that shows the compassion that Paul had. Because yes, as a biblical elder, you should be unashamed of the gospel. It's very easy to preach Christ from this pulpit. And it's very easy to preach Christ to a whole bunch of believers. But what happens when you get squeezed at work? 
what happens when all of a sudden, like I've said it before, you kids, hey, I got Miss Ruxlow's test. I got the test to Miss Ruxlow's, uh, you know, uh, next exam. Hey, you want it? I know you guys don't have Miss Ruxlow, but she's a teacher, right? What if your, 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 your classmate does that? What do you do? It's very tempting because you need that A. Or maybe you need that C just to pass because that's going to boost your grade up another one. What do you do? It gets real. It gets real. And we have to be unashamed of the gospel, not just with our words, but with our actions, with our life. Because if you are committed to the gospel, this is what's going to happen. Now, do we fail? 100% we fail. Are there times that I've dropped the ball? A thousand times. And I will drop it again. But the whole point is, Lord, help me. Help me to not just be unashamed of the gospel when it's easy. But help me to be unashamed of the gospel in those moments when I'm pressed, when, when, when I'm being crushed, when it feels like if I don't do this, if I don't do what they're asking me to do, I'm not willing, I can't lose my job. You know my family needs me to bring in the income. So let me just look the other way this one time. The Lord knows. That's the gospel. And Paul was unashamed of that gospel. Yeah, Paul had only one gear, but he continued. Pure gospel, unadulterated. And that is exactly the message that he's communicating to the Ephesian elders. Keep going. Don't be ashamed of the gospel because I wasn't. I was ran out of town. I was locked up. I was stoned. I was beaten. But here I go, and I'm still going. Not because he was some superhero, but by God's grace. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. Hebrews 10.38 But my righteous... My righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Think about that for a second. If he shrinks back. Now, does the Lord know we're going to shrink back? Yeah. He knows. He's not going to catch him by surprise. But it's a reminder for you to go back to the cross. To go back, Lord, I dropped it. I dropped it again. Because that's the process of sanctification. The process of sanctification is that he needs to show you your blind spots. He needs to show you where you're dropping the ball so that you can go back to him and say, Lord, help me. I'm depending on you not to drop it. I want to actually do things that are right. I want to honor you. I know it's a long first point. Next ones will be. But it's important to establish that. And the concerns of the elder. Verses 28 to 31. What are the concerns of an elder, of a biblical elder? He says there, verse 28a, pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention to your self-spiritual care. The elder has to watch over himself as well. I have to take these things seriously, lest what? I become disqualified. Now, the goal is not, Lord, help me not to be disqualified. Help me not to be disqualified. Please, I... Please, I don't want to be disqualified. No. I can't pray that. But let me tell you, there's a better prayer. Remind me of Jesus. 
remind me. I don't want to be disqualified. Not to save myself the embarrassment or my family. But I don't want to be disqualified because I don't want to mar your name. I don't want to drag Jesus' name through the dirt. Please guard my heart. Show me if there's any wicked way in me. Be careful. Watch my heart as I scroll through certain things. What I watch, what I see, what I'm hearing. Sometimes we think, yeah, you know, there's, there's, it's okay. I've done it so many times. Yeah, but maybe this season you're not in that place. And I have to be careful of that. I love, Edwin mentioned, maybe you guys didn't catch it last week. Tommy, I've been meditating. Intimacy is buried when performance is raised. Because when performance becomes the goal, then you're into some intimacy with the Lord goes on the chopping block. That's what gets sacrificed. If my goal is to be the best pastor, to be the best shepherd, to do everything right, think about it. Is that how you guys live your life? I know sometimes we do. Is your goal to be the best wife? Yeah. But it's not just to be the best wife for, wife, for, for, for being a, the best wife's sake. Because so, your name is not going to go into the book, into the Hall of Fame of Best Wives. Your name will never be written in that book because no such book exists. Husbands, your name will never be written in the, in the Hall of Fame of Best Husbands. Oh, John was the goat. Sure, and I know you don't feel that way, and neither do I. Children, same thing. The goal has to be Christ. And I have to pay attention to myself because if I lose my sight of Jesus, then everything else becomes blurry. I have lost my zenith. I have lost my north star. I have to keep Jesus at the center. Pay careful attention. The heart of the watchman, the guy that sits at his post, while you guys are sleeping, while the people are sleeping, the one with the binoculars watching that's that's the imagery it's the the people you guys have never seen it but those that goes on cruise ships when those boats dock you can't imagine all the people the, all the deck crew that is involved in making sure that that boat does not slam into the pier everybody and they're communicating on radios that you guys don't hear how many meters away hey you're far because we need to pick that we, that's how alert we need to be with our souls it has to be an utmost priority. Keep watch. That's what First Timothy 4, and we'll see this a little bit further on as, as we tackle this in, in terms of eldership. Keep a close watch. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy. First Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. But keep watch. Pay attention. I need to do that. And the flock of God, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That overseer, that word overseer, episkopos, the Greek word. And, we, and we're going to get into this because some people like to divide it. Yeah, but why, why does that church have uh, a ruling elder? And why does that church just have a senior pastor? And again, we get into all these different, how do we understand the office of an elder? 
of a pastor. And we're going to see that Paul talks about these things, but he talks about it interchangeably. Look at 1 Peter 5. He talks about them interchangeably. He's talking to the same elders, and he uses the word presbyteros, he uses the word episkopos, and he even uses the word poimen, which is the actual for shepherd or poimen. So you see that there. And he's telling them, this flock of God that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers of, they were purchased by the blood of Jesus. In other words, the weight that I carry as a pastor, and I'm not saying this because I'm just trying to, you know, make myself into some martyr or, you know, this super, no, at all. But it does weigh when you understand that I will have to give an account for those that the Lord has entrusted to me. My wife knows it because she's seen me. When you just want to go ahead and somebody tells you something and you just want to go ahead and say what's really on your mind, but you hold back. Because I know that one day I'll have to give an account and I don't want to be a stumbling block to you. That doesn't mean that the times there will be rooms for admonishing, yes, and exhortation. But generally speaking, that is the heart. I have to be mindful. By the way, am I, am I responsible for the church you know, on the other side, over there, two warehouses down? I'm not. They have their own shepherd. They have their own pastor. He has to give an account for them. I don't have to render an account for them, but I will have to render an account for those that are here. And so will anybody that steps place into this, uh, should the Lord call them to ministry. And who is our true shepherd? Jesus. He is our shepherd. Matthew 2 reminds us of that. That he's the one that will rule. He was the shepherd that Israel was meant to have. John 10, 25 and 29 also deals with the same topic. But most importantly, Revelation 7, 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Think about that for a second. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So that is the shepherd, the one that we are to call upon, the one who, the the sheep hear his voice, and they do as he says. Why? Because he's the one that did everything that the Father had told him. Everything the Father told him to speak, he spoke. And everything the Father told him to do, he did. Not once did he ever say, no, Father, not now. Everything, that obedience of our Savior, that is our heart. And encouragement for the elders, verse 32. Beloved, ministry. One of the things that, and I know we see it because we look at the celebrity pastors and we see all these things and we, and we get into this, um, what, what a pastor looks like, right? Ministry comes with some very, very dark and very lonely days. I'm not saying this because I want you to feel sorry for me at all. I'm just saying this is the reality of things. If you aspire to the ministry, if you aspire to the ministry, be ready. Because it's a package deal. I don't get to customize a package. 
I don't get to choose, well, just give me the, all the conferences, give me all the, uh, all the nice little things, and uh, eh, the other stuff, leave that to the side. Nah. I don't get that. It all comes with it. And that is why Paul says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, because a pastor will need to be built up. If there's anybody that's more critical of themselves, it's, it's probably a pastor in the sense of, am I shepherding, Lord? Am I dropping the ball? Where have I dropped the ball? How many times have I dropped it? All these things go through our mind. Have I caused my brother to stumble? Have I caused my sister to stumble? Have I encouraged them when they needed to be encouraged or did I just simply you know, press into them more when they needed to be uplifted? All these questions go through our minds. It's tough. We, self, we doubt, we question, but I need to remember, Lord, you are with me. And wherever I have messed up and wherever I have dropped the ball, help me the next time not to do it. But I lean solely upon your grace and your mercy to me. And I pray that you guys pray the same thing. And I know you understand it because as parents, I know you do. Who's more critical of you as parents? You don't need somebody to tell you, man, Andrew, <laughs> but you could be doing a lot better. You think he doesn't know that already? I don't need to tell him, bro, you're dropping the ball. I need, to, I need to encourage him. Now, if he does drop it, yeah, bro, but let's go to the cross together. Because we are critical of ourselves. Same thing, a woman, yeah, you think she doesn't need to hear that she, can, she needs to lean upon Jesus? You think she's not questioning her motherhood? If she's a good mother, she's probably doubting herself more than you think. Encourage her. Pick her up. Pray with her. That is the heart and that is the imagery that Paul wants to get because ministry will be lonely. We need to build each other up. And the pastor will need it and at times he will have nobody alone because it's a very lonely road. There's things that some people will not understand. I need to trust the Lord for that. And finally, the work ethic of the under-shepherd, verses 33 to 35. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things I have shown you, shown, demonstrated, fleshed out, that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is, better, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I mentioned it. You're not going to see anywhere documented where Jesus said that, but Paul is saying that that is what he said. At some point, that must have been reported to him. He must have said, hey, I we recall through the other disciples, it's there. He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. There you go. If Jesus said it, it's good enough for me. Paul is documenting it there. He said that. And the heart of the pastor is a work ethic. It's always a reminder because you've probably seen John coming around with his, that, 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 that great-tasting Cuban coffee, right, with his Colombian touch to it. He comes around, he offers, he always offers me, I have to remember, not me. If there's any left over, maybe I'll take one. Give it to everybody else. And again, I'm not saying that to put the spotlight on me because I have to remember I am not first. 
the sleeves, and I've said this before, I roll up my sleeves because of that. To always remind me that it's about, ministry is about laboring for the Lord. No offense to Edwin who comes here with this suit, and he does that. He, I get it, he's from the old school. I know if you're watching, you hear that. But I know you're from the old school. But I can't. I have, and I'll do it at times. But this reminds me, hey, I'm here to wipe. There's a stain, do it. Clean, whatever it is, I'm here. Because that is the heart. And he mentions it, Otto says, and everyone does it as well. Don't think just because um, he's there in his suit and tie, he doesn't do these things. No, that's not, that's not true at all. He does do these things. If there's anyone that's willing to open his home more than anyone, it's him. He's the one that's saying, hey, if you need to come, I'm not going to be here, but you have my house of, of fleet to your disposal to other people that are coming in for ministry. Here's my code. Here are my keys. You know where everything is. My, home, I'm not, my wife and I will not be there, but you can use our home. How many of us would do that? Because, again, it's the, the ministry, the heart of the Lord has to grab a hold of us. And I want to work my work ethic, let it be, I don't want to be a moocher. If, so, if I ask anybody, hey, can you maybe check this out for me or whatever, I don't want to be the one to pay that bill at the end. I don't want any freebies. I don't want a free pass. Oh, because I'm the pastor. I tell my kids that all the time. I don't want them to get special privileges just because you're the pastor's kid. No, 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 no. PKs don't get special privileges. Sorry. But it's true. We should be the last ones. We should, and we, the last ones to get served and the first ones to serve. Because that is precisely what Jesus did. He, was, he is our model. He is the one that we emulate. So in conclusion, the call to the ministry of eldership is beyond preaching. When we think of elders and we think of pastors, we think of this. Oh, Pastor John MacArthur. Oh, Pastor John Piper. Or, you know, well, we don't say pastor uh, because uh, he's a teaching elder, right? Uh, R.C. Sproul at the time is a Presbyterian. He's a teaching elder. And we think of this and we forget that the ministry extends beyond this. Actually, this is not the the most important part of ministry is the care for the souls that the Lord has given us. And whoever comes to be a shepherd, to be a pastor, to be an overseer, has to have the heart of Christ. Yes, preach. Yes, teach. But I don't want to be a professional preacher. I don't want to be a professional teacher. I want to know that people know that I care for them and that I love them. And guess what? It's not always roses. You will get spat upon. People will push their hand away. Don't touch me. That's okay. I don't need a hug right now. That's okay. But I'll pray with you. I'll be praying for you. Because many times, again, like I said, this, this ministry is very, not just lonely, not just dark at times, but it's very unrewarding on this side of heaven. But on that side of heaven, I pray that the Lord will be able to say, 
I want to say, Lord, I, I did it for you. I did it for you. If you suffered all that you did for me, what's a push of the hand? What's a bad reply? I do it for you. And may that always be our heart. May our, may our heart always be committed to the gospel and to Christ. Pray for me. And pray for who anyone should the Lord raise anybody up here among our congregation. Pray for them. That they may be encouraged. That I may continue watching over my heart. Feel free to ask me. I need that. I need accountability. And the pastor, the pastoral calling is not that of a, a celebrity, but of a servant. It has to be a servant. To make, why? To make the ultimate servant known. To proclaim the ultimate servant, which is Jesus. And to emulate him. That is our heart. That is the ministry. To preach Jesus and him crucified. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, Lord, you know, you know that there's so many things that we get wrong. And, and even things that I've gotten wrong here this morning. But I pray whatever's true and faithful to your word, keep it. Let it ruminate in the minds of your people. And whatever is not of, of you, Lord, dispose of it, please. Discard it, delete it from our minds. If there's anything that we need, Lord, it's, it's you, Jesus. Remind us of the gospel. Help us to be committed to the gospel. Lord, you know, as, as a church, a small little congregation, it's at times hard to see when, if we will ever get more, more elders here, more pastors. But Lord, thank you that you sustained us this far. I pray that you continue to sustain me, encouraging the people. Lord, we need you. This little congregation needs you. They don't need me. They need you. And I pray that from this pulpit and in everything outside of this pulpit and outside these walls would always be to preach Jesus and him crucified. Help your people remember that this week. And if anyone here that doesn't know you, Father, may the Holy Spirit put it upon their hearts in such a way, the way you did with Paul, the way you've done with many of us, that we have no other response but to say what Isaiah said there in Isaiah 6. Here I am. Send me. The heart of Samuel. Here I am, Lord. May that always be our response as believers that have been adopted into your family because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us on the cross. And it's for his glory and his renown that we pray. Amen.